Equine health is our business. Horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. So welcome to our latest episode of our EquiConnect podcast brought to you by McKee Panel Equine Services. I'm your host, Karen Fell, and today our guest originates all the way from Germany, Dr. Melanie Pfeffer. Welcome, Melanie. Hey. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. So Melanie joined our Camaville location in April of this year, and we are thrilled to have her. How have you been enjoying your time in Canada? Yeah, a lot. I mean, it's been uh, quite a change for me to be coming to a different country. It's a big step, obviously, but I feel the summer has been very good weather-wise, and I'm very much enjoying the current uh, in-between weather. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. Are you prepared for a Canadian winter? I have experienced a Canadian winter before, so I'm going to say yes. (laughs) You have all your layers ready to rock out. That's awesome. Not quite, but I'm hopefully heading home for a couple of weeks in November, so. will be all set. Yeah. Did you have a learning curve with your work track? I heard uh, about having the keyless remote was something new and exciting for you. Yeah, that's very funny you would bring that up. But uh, yes, there <laughs> was maybe a little bit of a learning curve. So interestingly enough, uh, and I will take about 50% responsibility here, okay? <laughs> Okay, I got you. We're on the same page. So apparently the the new truck that I got, which is great, has a stop and start button and not you don't actually have to put the key in, which is super. However, we did not know that if that the car also starts or the truck also starts if the key is outside of the truck, like laying in front of the windshield. For example, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's unfortunately what happened. And we were driving around probably for 20 minutes already when we noticed that uh, the key was flying off. And shortly after, the truck was complaining that it could not find a key. Oh, no. And the weirdest thing was that we turned around and found where the key was. And I was standing there and about to get it. But it was a busy road. And I just had to watch the key flying all over the place, being run over by one car after another. And uh, unfortunately, it did not make it. And it was not the greatest introduction, maybe. But... (laughs) You know what? I'd love to say that that has not happened with me, but that actually has happened twice with me. Uh, So I totally feel your pain. Well, we have a big rule now that the key basically never leaves the truck until the end of the day. So there you go. There you go. Has a good solution in the end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So where in Germany did you grow up? So I'm from a little town called Zwiesel, which is uh, in the Bavarian forest. So from Bavaria. It's fairly close to the border of the Czech Republic, and uh, it has a national park. It's actually the biggest connecting forest in Europe, I believe, actually. Oh, wow. Like if you combine it with the one in the Czech Republic. So it's uh, actually quite the nice little spot. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds quite beautiful. Are you uh, a nature lover then growing up with all the forested areas? Yeah, for sure. And probably more so, probably a lot of people find this, but uh, I've certainly found it. The older I get, the more I seem to appreciate uh, 
the nature part of everything and being outdoors when you're growing up and being a kid it's just like the normal thing to do to be outside uh, and have that around you all the time but you don't seem to appreciate it as much as I appreciate it now I think yes that has definitely played a big part of uh, making me who I am I think oh that's so cool I, I really like outdoors and nature too so that's such a such a neat thing that you grew up there you should come there someday <laughs> okay i consider this an invitation I'll absolutely like tomorrow if uh we just confirm up some dates whenever yeah. you're free i might not be there but you know <laughs> that's awesome what's something that you looked forward to when coming to canada so basically i'm looking forward to or was looking forward to being back to the place that i had been to 15 years ago already. That's awesome. Yeah, because I didn't actually know that you had spent time here previously. So I first came to Canada uh, 15 years ago, or maybe even in 2006, after I had finished high school, I took a year of uh, work and travel through Canada. That was the plan. I started out in Vancouver, then was working for about three and a half months in Canmore, so in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, and then flew all the way to Halifax. Oh my gosh, that's a big uh, a big travel. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really aware of how, I was aware, mm-hmm. but it was still hard to comprehend how big Canada is. So yeah. um, <laughs> anyway, I went all the way to Halifax, was there for about a month, and then was going to slowly make my way back to Vancouver because Cleverly, my return ticket was from Vancouver. I don't know how uh, I could have missed that flaw in the plan, but anyway. It was the perfect plan, start to finish, same spot. Okay, yes. So I made my way back, was in Fredericton, Quebec City, Montreal, Ottawa, all the places sort of thing. And I ended up on a farm close to Godrich. And uh, the reason for that was I came over to Canada with an organization initially, like I was only 19 years old. My parents had some concerns, maybe. (laughs) So the organization really didn't do much other than help you with setting up a bank account, getting you a social insurance number, having the first two nights uh, that you got here to stay at a hotel or youth hostel, actually, which doesn't sound like a lot right now, but it was good at the time. So part of that was also being part of Woofing, which is Willing Workers on Organic Farms. Okay. I was not aware of that program uh, previously, but uh, it apparently existed. And I looked into it while I was in Halifax and thought I was maybe going to run out of money on my way back to Vancouver. So thought, and since I originated from a small town and was always in a rural setting, but uh, was without a car when I was traveling through Canada here and was always uh, dependent on... Like buses and trains? Yeah, Is that buses what you and trains, exactly. <laughs> no, that actually, I was curious because I've always been lucky enough to travel with my family in a car. And I was just thinking, how would you get all the way across to all these places? So that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. That's how you traveled. Greyhound buses and uh, trains and uh, yeah, flights sometimes, you know, so... Yes, yeah. Anyway, I thought I might money might get a bit tight. And uh, so I looked at this woofing thing. Basically, it's a little booklet with a whole bunch of farms in it. They give you a small description of what they expect from you. It's basically you work for help on the farm for half a day. 
and you get room and board for exchange. So that sounded oh, pretty good to me. I picked out a farm that included horses <laughs> because, uh, well, that seemed more interesting to me than anything else. So Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I ended up. So the original thought was I would stay there for two weeks so that I could save a bit of money and see some of rural Ontario. Ended up staying there for two months initially. Then I went back to Germany, didn't get into vet school right away and came, ended up coming back and actually was working there on that farm for three years then or three and a half years maybe. And um, yeah, that's the big answer of uh, <laughs> what I look forward to when coming to Canada. So I look forward to being, I'm still in touch with those uh, friends of mine and yeah, I look forward to seeing them again, to being on that farm again, and obviously to starting a new job, you know, mm -hmm. as scary as it is, it's always an adventure too, or I try to see it that way anyway. So I was definitely looking forward to that. It's pretty cool to think that the way that you hooked up with this family and at this farm is that you just were thinking you would be short on money and yeah. kind of looking for a solution. And now so many years later, this is still a part of your life. I know it's uh, it boggles my mind that uh, the little decisions we make sort of thing have an Absolutely. effect. Yeah, definitely. And I've heard that on this farm, they have uh, quite delicious vegetables. So I must ask, what's your what's your favorite vegetable from the farm? That's a very, very hard uh, question to answer. But Right now, I would have to say sweet corn is definitely oh. the top of the list. Even though, man, they grow good vegetables there. Their names are Bob and Bev, and they do an oh. excellent job. Uh, right now, obviously, no more sweet corn, but uh, lots of squash, delicata squash, super yummy. We still have a fair bit of peppers and uh, carrots are just starting. Anyway, there's always something happening, and it's... <laughs> very neat to be able to go out and get the veggies from the garden that you're mm -hmm. going to have a couple of hours later that really I learned a lot from that of uh, helping out in that vegetable garden when we go to the grocery store we're so used to having everything available all the time and you mm -hmm. don't even recognize anymore when things are actually in season and when things naturally grow in our climate or some things never actually grow here Yes. <laughs> so I really found a bit of an appreciation of that. And it just tastes so much better, too, I have to say. <laughs> I definitely agree with you on that. There's something very like wholesome about being a part of the growing process and being able to eat the food that you grow. I think that's so awesome to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, Bob really is an avid gardener. He uh, has done it for many, many years. And... Yeah, I think he grows pretty much the best vegetables there are. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. That's awesome. I'll take it back here now. So um, where did you go to uh, vet school? I went to vet school in Munich in Germany, to the Ludwig Maximilian University in Munich. Oh, that's awesome. I was actually just recently talking about how I did some traveling in Europe and how it was a big eye-opener to me that... Munich is called München. <laughs> München, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, nicely said with an accent. I remember being on a train and I thought that I had missed where I was oh. supposed to get off because we say Munich and I had no idea. And it was 
that's my minimal experience of yeah. being over there on a on a train panicking, not speaking German. It's funny how that uh, some of the words are different. So Cologne, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard of that uh, city <laughs> in Germany. So in German, it's called Köln. It has yeah. nothing to do with Cologne. Like it does not. <laughs> anyway. I find it surprising because it's a place like you just think that these names of places stay the same no matter what the language. Yeah. You just throw in your accent and it <laughs> sounds different, but they're actual different words. So that was a learning curve for Karen's trip to Germany was uh, <laughs> over there. <laughs> That's funny. And did you do an externship or an internship? I sure did. So because I had this connection to Canada for a long time already. I pretty much did all my externships in Canada. We did have to do placements through vet school, I think just like it is here, I believe. Mm -hmm. My longest externship was at Milton Equine Hospital, just sort of around the yes. corner from here. Mm -hmm. That was a very high stress, but very good externship for sure. Um, I also spent uh, a few weeks up in Barrie with Dr. Terry Ruck, who did mostly lameness on horses. And uh, then back in Godridge with a local vet there who also only does horses, Dr. Stan Henderson, who, um, yeah, also has been great. So that's my externships. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the externship column. Well, Got you, it. Know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's great. And my internship I actually did in Vienna in Austria. That's uh, at the university clinic there. They had a rotating internship for equine. Yeah, it's, uh, I looked briefly looked into coming to the States or Canada for an internship, but it sounded very intimidating as far as the visa restrictions. So yes. I was... Uh, happy to do that in Vienna. And it was actually a great program, very hands-on and was happy to be able to do that. Oh, that's fantastic. It sounds like you've been able to really take a lot of advantage of opportunities that have been there for you. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> and you're also a certified animal chiropractor. So how do you feel that having your chiropractic experience adds to your veterinary medicine tool belt? Yeah, well, I think it adds a lot. I, I love doing chiropractic, I have to say. I uh, feel like often in uh, veterinary medicine, unfortunately, we seem to show up, maybe see the horse even for the first time. What we end up doing is uh, sticking a thermometer up their bum and uh, poking them with a needle sort of thing. Right. So I honestly appreciate the, uh, the chiropractic part of my work um, mm. where you can actually well, try and make the horse feel a bit better not that we're not trying to make the horse feel better all the time but the horses don't recognize that all the time maybe whereas mm -hmm. with the chiropractic they seem to enjoy that part uh, visibly anyway i also think it's uh, just a good a good useful skill to have even when you're looking at a horse in general looking at lamenesses it gave me a better understanding of how the biomechanics work inside of a horse so yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about the chiropractic part and love doing it for sure. I've noticed a, a difference over the past, I guess, few years now in some of our veterinarians having the chiropractic tool in their tool belt. And uh, it really has changed the way that they even do their 
just more basic physical exam because it's giving a whole other perspective for you, uh, which I think is really a neat thing that just adds another element to the whole appointment and the course's whole performance and, and life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a, I can only recommend it to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What differences have you noticed practicing veterinary medicine in Ontario versus Germany? Yeah, uh, it's a hard question. <laughs> I would think so, because generally a horse is a horse and they will, you know, get injured or have colic, uh, if I'm thinking of emergencies here anyway, mm -hmm. in Germany as much as they are doing that in Canada. However, so one difference I would certainly be thinking of is here, everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people seem to have banamine at the barn and readily available sort of thing to give by mouth anyway. Mm -hmm. That is definitely something we did not have in Germany. We They had a different product there that they would have on hand that they wouldn't use so much on colics, but uh, just general lameness things that maybe owners would think I could give the horse right now. Which sometimes was smart and sometimes not so much, maybe. It's always better to maybe uh, talk to us first. <laughs> Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that would be a difference. What I noticed, what was a bit, uh, I was not aware, for example, of the Angelstone tournaments here. Seems to be mm -hmm. a very, very big thing. Yes. In Germany, or at least the part of Germany where I was uh, working from, we had a lot of shows, but the shows would go for a weekend maybe three, maybe four days, and they would all be at different big barns. So it, we okay. did not have one designated showground. Mm -hmm. We had shows at different barns, also made very professionally, but I was amazed when I was at Angelstone for the first time, looking at the size and number of horses and everything, number of people involved to get that oh, yeah. going. Yeah, that's that's a difference I would have noticed. Other than that, like I said, it's still a horse and I feel they get into the same trouble here as they did in Germany sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, always. Horses keep us on our toes, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I've heard that you have quite the love of standard breads. I was specifically said anything and everything standard breads. So why is that? Why do you love standard breads so much? Yeah, I will talk the standard breads up any day here. So. Uh, <laughs> Everybody should get a standard bread if I'm, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so it came from basically coming to that farm in Godrich or close to Godrich because they, at the time when I got there, were basically racing, training, and breeding their own stock, uh, not a, to a large degree. Like they were, it was maybe nine horses we had there at the most, but. It was a variety. We had a couple of broodmares. Uh, we had some yearlings. We had some foals. We had a few horses actively racing. So I kind of got to see everything of it and kind of fell in love with the sport and the stand-up breads themselves. What I really like about the stand-up breads is that they were never bred for looks. Everybody always makes fun of the jug heads and things like that. Yes. And I would... I would take that any day over breeding for any kinds of markings. I'd rather have a good brain to be able to work with than any kinds of looks. Because you can fall in love with looks if, if the brain's working. It will always be the most beautiful horse to you. So um, 
that's definitely something that I really appreciate about Zen Breads. And there's just not a lot of things more beautiful in my mind than seeing a good trotter coming down the stretch with its head down and going all out. It's it's a beautiful thing. And even though the racing industry has its problems too, just like any other professional sport industry, I would say. Yeah. I do really like the stand-up reds and I do like the sport itself. So uh, everybody should get a stand-up red. For what it's worth, all the stand-up reds I've been trying to retrain for... Uh, for riding horses have all been good. So it's not that hard to try and make them your little riding horse. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. They do have very good brains on them. Really good heads, which obviously yeah. for us in vet medicine too makes a huge difference. Yeah. But you're right. They're they're sweet and they seem to be quite um, fit into a bunch of different boxes. They're, they're not just for racing. They can be for riding. They can do all these things, which I think has been a little misleading perhaps in the past. And growing up, I always thought they were specifically for racing and that's what they did until a friend of mine got one. And I thought, oh, I had no clue that they could do more than be racing horses, which is a huge task itself. Yeah. So They're super athletes, obviously, and they're bred for racing. And it's amazing how far we've come. Maybe it's... I would really appreciate it if we could focus a bit more on the four-year-olds rather than the two-year-olds. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, me personally. But yeah, I think standardbreds are super horses and they can, and obviously it doesn't go, you can't ever generalize anything, but uh, I've seen a lot of them being used for endurance, uh, mm -hmm. endurance sports, for example, where they seem to be fitting in quite nicely. And uh, we sold uh, one to a small animal vet actually down the States at some point who is doing dressage right now down there. So Oh, no way. That's there. cool. Yeah. Any chance you get of uh, seeing, touching, riding, training, anything with a standard red, then uh, you go for it. Or go to Mohawk and watch the races. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Were standard bred racing, was that large in Germany as well? It used to be, but that was definitely before my time. Okay. I have been to the races, obviously, in Germany as well. However, it is unfortunately a dying sport there. There's wow. only a few people who are able to make a living off of it, I would say. But the the grounds, the racetracks are huge. The buildings they have there, it must have been amazing in its day for sure. But oh, uh, it's cool. it's not something I had been in touch with before coming to Canada, for sure. Oh, well, I'm seems like you're in the, the right spot here for your <laughs> standard breads. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a standard bread mare um, that produced your first foal this year, I heard, with the intent to, to race, right? Yeah, that's uh, far ways away, but uh, <laughs> that's the plan. We also have a yearling standard bread who is hopefully gonna make it at some point but it's always when they're that age they could be anything they could be your next hamiltonian winner but uh you wouldn't know at this point because they're only young ones but it's super fun watching the young ones grow up and you can do so much i feel by getting started early and i don't mean having to work early i mean with the foal for example we try to groom it on a regular basis so that it is getting used to the touch, uh, pick up its feet so it's 
getting used to picking up its feet. And it's so much better to be able to do that when they're young and make it a good experience then rather than trying to get at it when they're a three-year-old, for example, and haven't been handled much. Then it just makes it so much harder for you and for the horse. Yeah, so I, I really enjoy that process of teaching them in a good way. Uh, or hopefully in a good way. Sometimes there's definitely things you can't control and mm-hmm. you'll always run into some trouble or horses will come up with some things, some trouble to... <laughs> <laughs> always. There, there wouldn't be a horse if they weren't uh, coming yeah. up with some sort of trouble at some yeah. point. But that's okay. You know, you have to deal with it and find a way around it. And that's uh, that's good. <laughs> oh, most definitely. I, I really like your your approach to make everything part of their normal lives at a young age. And and it, it can be difficult when working for, for us um, horses that are perhaps a bit older and uh, the owners are very upfront that they're unhandled. It can definitely add a whole other element to, to your job being there in uh, for veterinary medicine purposes, at least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think we could do so much if we get started early, like I said, and it's it will never be an issue then. Yeah, I can just recommend it. <laughs> Please, oh, everybody that's... pick up their horse's feet. Please, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. No, Step but... one. Yeah, exactly. And maybe I'm a bit... Uh... So at the farm, <laughs> Bob is also a farrier who has just retired, oh. but... I did have some experience with him driving around to shoe the standard breads. So I have some appreciation for horses' feet. So not being able mm-hmm. to pick up a horse's foot is something that I just can't can't, mm-hmm. can't let go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I imagine that's quite embedded in your head that this is a big deal exactly. to do it. Or going, oh, you can pick up their front feet just fine. Don't do the hind feet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. All added uh, elements, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's never too late to teach them, like that said, you know, like yeah. uh, just it might take longer and it's easier if uh, they're, they weigh less than you weigh. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And that's not for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, goodness. Where is somewhere that you would really like to visit or see or something you'd like to do in Canada? I've been to Algonquin Park once only, unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh, up to the northern parts of Algonquin Park. We went uh, for a five-day canoeing trip, and it was awesome. I have to say I would do that again in a second because oh, it's, yeah. obviously it also depends on the weather so much, but the weather was great then. It just kind of showed you how little you really needed to be mm-hmm happy uh, all you had was in your canoe and yet that worked out perfectly yes i would like to do that again for sure and one of the few places or provinces i haven't seen uh, is actually not the province it's the territories so <laughs> oh yes mm-hmm. i would like to make my way north at some point I haven't seen Newfoundland and Labrador either. That would be something interesting to me for sure. And the West Coast. Anyway, I feel like Canada, <laughs> honestly, Canada has so much to offer, though. It's it's so diverse in what it has. You can have your mountains. You have uh, oceans all around you sort of thing. You have then the big lakes in the middle. It's 
it's kind of it's an interesting country is what i can say that's it definitely, definitely is yeah definitely something that fascinated me from the get go i think Absolutely. And I feel like there's something for everybody out there. And as you said, you can get a huge variety of different things all across Canada. And often it's not you've been there once and you don't want to go there again. You, you've been there once. Now you want to go back. Like you yeah. said, to Algonquin Park. I think that's, that's really yeah, cool. And I can, even in, uh, in Germany where I was growing up, there was a fair bit of hiking there. And even if you walk that same trail, Every week, it will look different. Every week, you will notice different things every week. That's amazing to me. I, I love watching that. Yeah. Anyway, so there's lots of things I want to do. And yet, obviously, I'm also happy just spending time on the farm or, uh, or hiking where I've been before. Well, there's a lot of options for you then. There you go. We'll leave yeah. it at that. A lot of options. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> The only other thing of uh, why I was coming to Canada or something like that was, uh, I think, and I can't even answer that for sure, whether that's true or not, but my grandfather was in the Second World War and was captured fairly early and uh, was (laughs) was then a prisoner of war in Canada, actually, for six years. Oh, wow. So he was actually working at a logging camp, I think is what they had uh, out in Winnipeg. And I'm sure it was not good, but he, I think, got lucky from getting along with the farmer he was working for. And they actually ended up, the farmers from Winnipeg actually ended up visiting them in Germany in, I don't know, 1974 or something like that. So anyway, even though my grandfather died when I was three years old, I can't really say he had that much influence on me and yet I was always somewhat intrigued by that part of our history I guess and wanted to see where he was and I saw all those documents that I don't know were part of him they were thinking of immigrating to Canada at some point and then they didn't do it but anyway it was that was definitely part of it and uh, maybe that played a role in one way or another Absolutely. I think that's so neat. And everyone has such stories that influence their life and the different choices that they make. And you never know. I definitely think that there's something that can be tied with your family and just just having that that sense of wonder, even as you said, you Mm -hmm. unfortunately passed at a young age for you. But just maybe having that on your mind, you never know. Maybe that was something you're intrigued by, too. Yeah, exactly. Who knows? (laughs) Choices we make. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on our uh, latest episode of our EquiConnect podcast. And we wish you all the best of luck. And we're so happy to have you on our team. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.